Everybody, I am glad to be here with you today, even after such a difficult scripture, right? I want to I have you just join with me in a sense of uh, the tension of this and the relief. And if you can take this picture of a bow and arrow, how many shot a bow and arrow? You take a bow and, and you set the arrow and you pull the string back and then you let it go to hit the target. This morning I'd like you to, to keep that idea in mind, all right, so that you keep this what we just read. All scripture is inspired by God's profitable for usefulness. So it's like taking an arrow, this is going to be useful, and we're going to hit a target. So I'm going to tell you the end of the sermon. So if you miss it and you're asleep by then, you'll have it. Okay. The end of the sermon is this in Timothy 3.15. Can we put that up? This is the goal that I have for you today, if we get there. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set the arrow, okay? That's what I want you to do. Get it set. Ready to make defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. If we today can just talk through some of the ways that you can be prepared for this. It fits the idea of what I wanted to share with you these past two Sundays. Last Sunday, talked to you a little bit about how we can partner with the pastor as he comes. And it is in that regard that we are looking at a pastor as a gift to us and as a gift to us to equip us to do the work of ministry. This is Ephesians chapter 4. And so that the work of the saints can be carried out as best as you can, the pastor will do his job the best that he can, and together, partnering, we will accomplish the good things that God gave us to do. Well, that, at least in theory, is what the church can be about. Now, as we are part of that, we want the pastor to be encouraged to do everything he can on his side so that we'll be able to do everything we can on ours. Uh, just in summary of last week's message, I, I said we should support the pastor in, in basically becoming three very important priorities. One is that he be strong in the grace of Jesus. And that's his message. Second, that he study to be approved of God. As in contrast to being approved by all the other agendas that are out there from everyone else that wants his approval. To be approved of God. And thirdly, that he separated himself from all the other vessels in the house to be a vessel of honor. That's the metaphor that Paul uses for that. So, to be strong, to be studied up and approved of God, and to be separate as a vessel of honor. That's what the name Timothy is, is Timotheus, is a honor to God. And so basically Paul is saying, live up to your name. Be what you're supposed to be. And as that happens, then Timothy is called to this very difficult task we just read about. How is he supposed to live in a world of the last day's description. This is difficult. And so as he is called to do that, let me just give you a context of where Paul, the guy who's writing this, is in his life. He's sitting in jail. You realize that? He, he wrote this letter from jail. And why is he there? Let's read about it a little bit. In, in Ephesians, he talks about... Uh, 
what he did there. You can look it up in Acts chapter 20. So when he writes to the Ephesians, it's, it's from this kind of history. So uh, let's start in chapter 20, verse 17. You just get a summary of the things that Paul had experienced, and he's kind of telling Ephesus and the leaders of Ephesus what he had experienced with them and what he projects might happen to them. And so he doesn't even go there. He's on his way by. He's busy on his way to Jerusalem. He got a, he's got a direction. But he calls the elders and says, let's meet on the boat and let's talk. And this is the talk that he has with them. Verse 17, chapter 20, Acts. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you, and I taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see how I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed how I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching this kingdom of God, will see my face no more. And therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole gospel of God. And therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember. For three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so now, brothers, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is a man who is known what it is to suffer in ministry. He's known the conflict of ministry. And he's writing the same message that he gave to these Ephesus leaders to their new pastor, Timothy. So he had told the, writers, the, the elders of Ephesus what to expect. And now he sends Timothy to that church in which he finds, well, sure enough, there's arguing and complaining and quarreling and fighting. And the savage wolves are at work. Now, it goes beyond the church. Let's just give you an idea of what was happening at the time to Paul, why he's in prison in, the, in this case. You know who was in charge at the time? Who's the ruler of the Roman Empire? You know your history? 64 AD? Nero. He's famous. We name our dogs after Nero. <laughs> Nero. What had happened there was Nero wanted to have political power. He wanted to have his way, right? And there was 
There are all kinds of conflict, you know, there's politics, so that's the same then it is now. A fire in Rome destroyed like 90% of the city. And historians write that Nero fiddled while the city burned. Well, they didn't have fiddles back then, but the idea was Nero really took the opportunity for his political advantage. And he let the city burn. 90% people were out of their homes. They were destitute. You know, what do we do now? But Nero had used this as an opportunity to rebuild Rome and possibly his dynasty was what he's hoping for in his own image. I mean, he wanted Rome to be what he wanted it to be. And so he took this opportunity when everything is burned to the ground to rebuild Rome. And he blamed the Christians for the fire. No real reason for that. Nobody has any, any real facts to say that any Christian started a fire. But that's the message that went out. And the media took up the message. And they said it over and over and over until all across the Roman Empire, Christian was that name given to people in a derogatory sense that said these are the guys that are opposing our government. They are against our society. And these are the people we need to get rid of. And the Roman Empire persecution on Christians became the center of, you know, Nero's agenda. So Paul was rounded up as one of the leaders. And lots of other Christians were rounded up. And you know some of the history of how they were fed to lions, their heads were chopped off, they were torn apart. I mean, the Bible describes that that's what happened in that persecution. Now, I gave you that idea. You feel the tension of pulling back the arrow? This is, this is not easy. This is hard to get an answer and to shoot straight in the midst of all this difficulty. And I want to just acknowledge that. We are in a time where if you want to answer the questions of our society and the issues that are out there, nobody's going to find an easy answer to this. What I commend to you is what Paul commends to Timothy, and that is what we read, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to instruct us in everything about life. And so often he said to Timothy, don't be ashamed of this gospel. Don't be ashamed of me the minister of the gospel. And don't be ashamed that I've been put in prison. Don't be ashamed of the names that we're being called. This gospel is the power of God for salvation. And I think as believers, we often have to kind of, kind of push back a little, even talk to ourselves and say, this really is the answer in a world that would shame us, put us down, cut us off, cancel our message, say, don't talk about it. So I want you to, to, to kind of grab hold of that. Like the scripture says, you know, sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready to give this answer. Now, I want to just go with you into some things that make this challenging. Solomon, in his wisdom, had to answer lots of questions like this, right? We read about some of his wisdom and in Proverbs, he goes through some 
options that we have. So I want to have you look at those with me. In Proverbs 26, I commend to you 1 through 12. It's, it's a good passage about dealing with folly. Paul called that, that's what he said in Timothy. He said all this stuff is happening, all these negative human characteristics, all this awful stuff is folly. So how do you answer folly when you see it out there in, in our world? Here's three options, right? First one, chapter 26, verse 3. A whip is for a horse, a bridle for a donkey, and a rod for the fool. So here's the first answer. If you see folly, pick up a stick and just beat it out of them. I would say that's a pretty common response. I mean, we see it happening on our streets today. There's folly out there and somebody picks up a stick and starts beating away. So you've got to stop this. That's one option. Second option. Tolerate it. Do not answer a fool according to his folly so you don't be like him. Don't get involved. Don't go down there into that mess. Just don't get involved. And Timothy was told that by Paul. There's certain things you should just not get involved. Tolerate it. Let it go. And then he compares it to what happened to Moses and Aaron. When they came to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh wouldn't listen, and God said, well, show them a sign. Put your staff on the ground, and it'll turn into a snake. Wow, that'll show them. And then Pharaoh calls, well, I see we have these names of these guys, Janice and Jambres. These two magicians for Pharaoh, he said, well, well, what about that? And they throw down sticks, and they turn into snakes too. Ah, we've explained it. And then Paul says to Timothy, but in the end, the folly will be evident to everybody. The whole public, everybody's going to see it. And what did, what did they see then? The snake that Aaron's rod was, ate the snakes of the other magicians. And everybody in the room would say, oh. Because they get it. Right? Oh. So this guy has maybe something we should listen to. That's what Paul compares this condition to. All right, just leave it alone. God will do something, and everybody will see. There it is. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we like it. Right? So there's a couple of places in the Bible where God does this. Toleration. The children of Israel came to the promised land. They sent spies. The spies came back and said, we can't do this. In the book of Hebrews it says, I missed something, didn't I? I skipped a really important slide. Man. So while I'm regressing, hang on to that. I cannot miss this. Thank you, Eric. I wanted to set the stage for what I was saying, which is really good, and I'll get back to it. But I wanted to set the stage for it with this. The last days that Paul says to Timothy are really horrible. And, and Peter says this too, knowing this, there come last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. But I, I wanted to encourage you that that's not the only thing going on in our last days. And there you see some familiar scriptures, right? One in Isaiah, and it's, it's repeated in, in uh, Micah. It shall come to pass in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house is established. That's also happening in the last days. 
Amen. And the Lord's house being established in the last days is something we should be encouraged about. Because the voices out there that are all unloving, unkind, and all that are not the only voices. Praise God about that. The book of Acts, we know that one, Day of Pentecost, quoting from the prophet Joel, in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. That, that scripture goes on to say, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's happening in last days, the Bible says. And then in the book of Hebrews, another last days kind of description that God spoke in the past through prophets, through miracles, the stories we know of the Old Testament, the law, but now, says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. And Hebrews goes on to say, it's better. It's better than what you heard in the Old Testament. It's better than what angels will tell you. It's better to listen to Jesus than, say, the blood of Abel that cried out from the ground. Jesus has something better. I hope that encourages us. That in the midst of all the voices out there that have big microphones and loud speakers, there is a word that's better. And that's the word that we have been given in the gospel. Right, I regressed. And so back to Solomon and his wisdom. Do we pick up a big stick? And beat it out of them? Do we say, oh, just tolerate it and let it take place? Let it happen? Well, God said to the, the people at Israel when they wouldn't cross the promised land, well, I guess since you decided that, that's what you get. You decided you're not going to go in the promised land, so you'll get what you said. You'll die in the wilderness. That's one way of putting it. The other is, God says, I said in my anger, you will not enter my rest. Both of those things are going on. Another place more specific to us in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, actually defines something called the wrath of God. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all the ungodliness of men who suppress truth by their unrighteousness. For what may be known about God is clearly seen in the things that he has made. And although men know God this way, they chose not to glorify him or give him thanks. And so, how is wrath of God defined? God gives them up to their futile minds and their own way of thinking so that they receive the consequence in themselves of that way of thinking. That's tolerance. That's God being tolerant. Letting men receive the consequences of their own actions. Is that the kind of God you'd like? It doesn't turn out to be very good for any of us if that's the way God just lets you be. Back to Solomon and his will. 
There's a third way that Solomon says to respond, and that would be to answer the fool. Answer the fool. So that this conversation can stop that conceited, you know, you, the, that fool that thinks he's right, you've got to stop it. And I believe that's what God has called us to engage in. To know that it isn't, it isn't really the role of, the, of the, the preacher, the pastor, to pick up a big stick and just beat it out of you. you know? Whatever folly there is, let's just get a stick and beat it out of you. That That's happened some out in the world. And, and maybe you did that with your kids. I don't know. Maybe you did with your kids what the second one, tolerance, and to say, I, I wash my hands of you, you have your own life, you get your own consequences. But what the third response is saying to us as believers, and what Paul is telling Timothy to do, is answer the fool, answer the folly. And how do we answer it? With the gospel. We have the gospel. Just consider the gospel in regards to this. Jesus came to bear the punishment that was intended for us, the fools, didn't he? He took our punishment. He entered into the folly. He entered into that. And he had an answer. Mercy. Forgiveness have come to us through Jesus. Paul had a sermon in Athens where he, he processed history in this way. He looked at all the idols around Athens and said, oh, I see, you're very religious people. You worship all these different things. Let me, know, let me preach to you about the God that you call unknown. And then he comes to this place in the sermon and he says, in the past, God has tolerated or he has overlooked this ignorance but now now he has commanded all men to repent because he has appointed a day when he will judge the world by a man that he has appointed for this and he approved that man by raising him from the dead do you all know who that man is so Paul says, now we don't have a time of tolerance anymore. By God's own statement, tolerance is over. Punishment is over. It's time for mercy to be spoken in the name of Jesus. Salvation can come to mankind. That's how God is now speaking into our world. And that's the message that Paul says for us to carry into our world. Be ready to give that answer. Do you feel that tension of the bowstring saying, well, this is hard. This is hard. And I'm not going to say it's not. Let me just commend to you some individuals who... The Bible records going through similar kinds of things in what they said. Habakkuk, do you know his story? He was saying to God, please do something. Everything in this nation is 
falling apart. People are turning away from God. There's oppression on us. Everybody is just crying out from this. Please, God, do something. And in his prayer, this is what you hear from Habakkuk. Oh, God, I have heard what our ancestors say about you. I've stopped in my tracks. I'm down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as surely you must, remember mercy. God is on his way again. He's retracing the path of salvation. I'll put it that way. And I would commend that prayer to you as you look at, it, at your world. Say, God, I know the stories. Renew those stories in our day, in our time. Do it again. Do it again. When I, when I pray about my interaction with, with you here, I pray, God, what, what is it you want for a Hillsboro Alliance Church? What do, you, what do you want to say to the people here, the church? You know, like Ephesians was sold. You know, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. What does the Spirit say about this? You know? And I don't know, I can't tell you what to do. I'm here to encourage you that God has something for you. And that's, that's, that's what I felt like the Lord would, would have, you know, if he could say to you, this is what he'd say to you. Be ready to begin again. Like, I mean, if, if that means anything, and if in Ephesus the church was told, you, you've been solid in your doctrine, you've been, you've been good about keeping your teaching straight, but the first thing was love and the love you had for Jesus. Begin again. Remember that. And as, as I've been in church a lot, a long time, and, and that becomes tedious, I've got to say, sometimes as a minister. Do I want to do this again? And, and I, would, I would say this tension of the message that I have here today has a realistic challenge to it. Like, maybe I would just rather say, I'll just tolerate it and wait till Jesus comes. Let it burn. Let it be. And I'll just wait till Jesus comes. That is an option, right? In the midst of conflict. But I don't think God has put in our hearts to be that way. Because look at the hope that we have in Christ. And I, I want you to somehow be filled with that hope to give an answer for the hope, is that there is the presence of Jesus. There is the power of the Spirit to begin again. And that love can be real. It, it can be powerful again. The church in, um, in Acts, the first church, let me just commend to you their example. In, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, you read about Peter and John. They go to the temple at time of prayer. That's, that's an important thing for the church to be involved in. Let's pray. They go to the temple to pray. And there is a man who's been 40 years lame. And Peter and John pray with him. He's raised up. He's well. And uh, that is enough to give Peter and John a night in jail. That's <laughs> 
glad that doesn't happen in church now. I mean, maybe you heal somebody, well, then we've got to put you in jail. They went back to the church the next day after they were released. The, the religious leaders said, don't preach Jesus anymore. We don't want that. And they went back to the church, and the church had a meeting, and the text for their meeting was Psalm chapter 2. So, read that. Psalm chapter 2 asks the question that was burning in their culture at the time. Why do the nations rage? Why all the anger? Why do people imagine vain things? Why do the kings of earth rise up against the Lord and against his anointed? Big questions. That's what the church had just seen. Herod, Pilate, the Jewish people, leadership had all joined against Jesus, crucified him. And now they're being told, don't preach his name. That's how the early church interpreted Psalm 2. They said, this is happening to us. Their response to that conflict, if I can just say, they pulled back their bow and they said, God, see what's happening to us. Stretch out your hand and work miracles in the name of Jesus. What a response to their tension, right? It's like Jesus did sometimes when the Pharisees on Sabbath stood there and were like, don't heal anybody. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, watch this. I would love to be part of a church like that. I, I, I think I have had some experiences like that, where all the authorities and all the message of the world is, don't do it. You Christians, stop that praying. Stop that. The devil is screaming it all the time, I think. Christians, stop praying. And we'll just stand and say, oh, yeah? Watch this. I would love to see how the world responds to a church like that. Well, it's similar to what happened there. When these people prayed that prayer, the place where they were was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word boldly, and God did miracles among them. So, here we are, right? Hillsboro Alliance Bible Church asking a questions, why all this around us is happening, and can we respond with hope and a reason for our hope? I say yes, and I just want to give you some things about why I would say yes. Difficult, yes. There's a... Uh, quote by G.K. Chesterton that says this. He says, Christianity is not an ideal that has been tried and found wanting. It is an ideal that has been found difficult and left untried. Can you hear that again? Christianity is a teaching not that is found to have failed, but it's been found to be difficult and therefore not tried. 
tolerance is our choice instead of confrontation. So, Christian Missionary Alliance has some really good tools. And I want to just look at those tools and then share how some of those things have been reality in my life. Christian Missionary Alliance has the fourfold gospel. Message of A.B. Simpson and founding of this is in, in a story in New York City where New York City was being just overrun with immigration from people from all over the place coming to New York to try to be part of the new dream of what it was going to be in America. A.B. Simpson felt called by God to go down to the docks and give the gospel to those people in these very four specific ways. To bring Christ as our Savior, there is forgiveness, there is mercy in Jesus. That's the message of Christ our Savior. But not only that, Christ is our healer. Let's pray for you to be healed. Your physical body, God cares about your health and he will heal you. And we pray for people to be healed. God, our sanctifier, Jesus has come to give us the power of the Holy Spirit so that, say, we are healed, we are healthy. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to live holy lives. And as Paul says in Titus, God has ordained that we would live holy and upright while we wait for the blessed appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Power to live holy, power to proclaim the word of God. Sanctified people. That's why that scripture I wanted you to see. Sanctify God in your heart. Set apart this message. This is the hope that we have. As well as Christ our coming King. We have a hope for our future. When asked when is the end, A.B. Simpson had a comment about this. Because he preached about Jesus coming a lot. And people would ask, so you know when Jesus is coming? And he said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and here's his answer. He said, quoting Jesus, this gospel will be preached in all of the world and then the end will come. Which kind of pulls us into this as having a stake in the whole thing. This gospel will be preached by who? Us. Yeah. The Acts 1-8 part of our, our mission, right, is, is to be filled with the Spirit and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the world. And then the end will come. As we are part of that, I want to commend to you the Christian Missionary Alliance in, well, this, this latest magazine, that's a good one, is about how the Christian Missionary Alliance is responding in the present time. There's good ideas in here what the church is doing. Real nice article in here a memorial to Ravi Zacharias, who is one that spoke about how Jesus is the answer in the midst of a whole world out there of other gods, other ideas, other isms. And he put words to things that I, I love reading what he reads, and then I try, try to quote him, and I can't even quote him. It's just like <laughs> big words and, and big concepts. Thank God for people like him. Pray for that, right? That, that the message of God can go out in every sphere of our society through men that, and women that God has equipped to do so. So as, as I look at these core values, let's look at the core values of the CMA. You can find these on Christian Mission Alliance on the website. 
And uh, they have really good teaching in the Fordful Gospel and the CMA Core Values. Um, great for Bible study, great for personal study. Um, but these are tools to help you be equipped for giving an answer for the hope. Here's the first four. There's seven altogether. But first one, lost people matter to God. Wow, we need that statement in our world today. What matters? Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. That's where the conversation has to start. What did God say this morning when I prayed? That's in the conversation. That's where our hope and answer can come from. Everything we have belongs to God. We are His stewards. Knowing and obeying God's Word is fundamental to all true success. Just before we go to the last three, I want to just put that in context of some of the choices that I made in my life to bring these core values into, into my choices, and the way I live. So when I was graduating from college, I was graduating as a, a math major and I was going to be a teacher, but that wasn't really my primary goal. I was raised Christian Missionary Alliance kid, and my primary goal was how do I engage in the Great Commission? I mean, that's CMA right there, boom. How do you spend your career somehow engaged in the Great Commission? And I thought being a teacher is, is what I really liked, but I wanted to engage that with the Great Commission. And one of those ways was being a teacher for the Wycliffe Bible Translators Organization. And so I chose, as a, as a, a rookie teacher, to go to Columbia, South America, and teach in a mission compound. It was like 30 kids in a high school, and I taught math at that high school, and experienced what it's like to be a support missionary, you know, get the feel of what it's like to get my feet wet, literally, in the jungle of Columbia. Does the gospel make a difference in the world is kind of what we're after here. Well, Wycliffe Bible Translators is dedicated to the idea that if you put the Bible in the mother tongue of any people, it will transform their culture, their life. Is that true? Power of the gospel to transform the world. Well, Wycliffe Bible Translators is, is still hard at work at doing that. My experience with that was one story I want to share with you. This impacted my life about how powerful that is. The missionary that was, was my mentor, uh, he said to me, I have this young man that came in from the village that I'm working with, the Carapara Indian, Indians, and he's come in because he knows Spanish well, and he can help me with the translation into the Carapana language. But he doesn't know Jesus. And I'd like you to pray with me so that this young man, in his work with the scriptures, will come to know Jesus. Right on, let's pray. So, in the, in the months that he's there working, Javier uh, has a dream. And in this dream, he comes and he shares with, with the, the missionary. He says, um, I had this dream, maybe you can help me explain it. I saw in this dream that, that there were people and they were gathered around fires. There was a a group of people where the fires had sparks flying out and burning them, hurting them. 
And then there was this river, and then there was other people on the other side of that river. The fires that they were around were, were warming them. It was all peaceful and, and pleasant. And then I saw a man that was standing at the river, and he was beckoning to me to come to the side of the river where people were at peace and the fire warmed them and didn't destroy them. Can you explain that to me? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And of course, we can explain that. And Jesus brought the message to Javier in a way that Javier understood. And the Word of God became powerful to him. It became useful, like the Scripture said, in every way. That's happening. I have a copy of that Bible at, in my library. And uh, in the language, yeah, I learned a few phrases, like the name of the book is Dios Kakaketi Bhukadikedi. A funny little sound in there that I can never make right. But all that means the word that God spoke. Does that transform a life? Does that transform a tribe? Does it transform Colombia? And our answer to that is yes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Moving on from there, in, in my experience in life, another kind of situation arose where we had opportunity to be called, become part of something called the Reconciliation Walk. What it was, was a plan by some Youth with a Mission leaders to respond to a need that is very prevalent in our day, and that is the, the woundedness in the Christian world message to the Muslim world or the Jewish world, specifically in regards to the Crusades. We know the history of Crusades. Not a good thing for the way the Christians went about bringing a liberation to Jerusalem. For a Christian purpose, yes, but the means was by far from what Paul talked about, gentleness and kindness. It wasn't that at all. So this idea was to take people, regular folks, from where the Crusades journey had begun in Cologne, Germany, and have them follow the trail down to Jerusalem. So that means they have to walk through Muslim territory, and Jewish territory with a message that they printed on paper in the languages of the people along the path that basically said, we want reconciliation. Can we have forgiveness here about this wound in our history? My group started out in Istanbul, Turkey, and our job was to go to different places in Turkey and carry this message of reconciliation. Interesting. I don't have time to tell you all about that, but that was what we did. There was about 50 people that started in Istanbul, and then we all split up and went our separate ways to tell the story. Right? Neat examples how God comes along to help with that. Um, you can imagine that it wasn't always well-received. One of the places that we went... Um, the leadership said the best thing to do is go to the authorities of the town you go to and tell them why you're there. 
because you're foreigners and you're going to attract attention. So you don't want that to be bad attention. Get the authorities first and then go from there. So group goes to a little, a little town in, in central Turkey and they go and they say, you can, you know, they stop at the hotel, it's where they're staying. They tell us how to get to the police station. So they go to the police station, hope somebody there can help them with English because nobody, you know, we're, we're intentionally vulnerable. Us, you know, least of these brothers of mine, kind of like that. We're, we're hoping they will find somebody willing to help. So they go to the police station. The police say, what are you here for? They get the idea across. Say, we're here to give this message if we can. Could you help us go to the mufti, the 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 imam at the mosque, and, and we want to give this message to him. And they say, well, yeah, I think we can do that. So the police go over to the mosque, and, they, and the newspaper reporters get a hold of this, right? And they say, whoa, something's happening in our town. Let's go find out. So they show up at the mosque with their cameras, and they're asking, so what are you here for? And they give this message, and they give a copy of the message to the newspaper reporters and about that time the military police find out what's happening and they show up and say no more none of this it's going to cause uproar in our town riots or whatever they're afraid of we're not going to let this go anymore shut it down so we sit in our hotel saying okay we can't do that anymore so what are we going to do well, the next day, the newspaper article says, hey, there's foreigners in town, and this is why they came, and the whole thing gets spread out in the newspaper. Thank God, took care of it. It's all out there. So the school finds out that there's foreigners down at the, at the hotel and young people, and so the, the English teacher at the school says, go down to the motel, talk to those people, and practice your English. So these, yeah, these freshmen in high school, they come down and they come to the motel and, the, and they say, where the foreigners are? We want to meet them. And so they say, what is your name? You know, and they start practicing their English. And God was able, you know, to get us where we needed to be. Anybody who was interested could know the foreigners are at the motel. Just go talk to them. No, we didn't have a great revival and there was no church planted from the process. But the gospel was there. Amen. So I was happy to be a part of that. I feel the tension, but feel that, hey, I think we hit the mark a couple of times. Yeah. The last three values. Let's look at those. And then I have a story to tell you about that. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. We all have a part in this. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we will accomplish nothing. But achieving God's purposes involves taking faith-filled risks. And this always involves change. I want to tell you a little bit about how I ended up going to Russia. And I, and I was working with Youth with a Mission in Russia from 1997 to 2002. Five years there with my wife and my kids and, and the team, the YOM team there. But, but how I got to go there, it goes back a little farther. Back to 1989, 90, back then, when there was a, a 
President Gorbachev and then President Yeltsin in what was Soviet Union and then no longer Soviet Union became Russia. 1989, Camps Crusade for Christ asked for and got permission to show the Jesus film in the Soviet Union. And the Jesus film was shown on public television in Russia and all of the Soviet Union over, over the Soviet television system. Then the Jesus film was shown in public schools in Russia. Following that and the response to the film, the Minister of Education sent out an invitation to Western mission agencies that specifically worked in Bible curriculum and Christian ethics. Bruce Wilkinson was one who was part of that. Bruce Wilkinson is the guy who wrote the Prayer of Jabez book. That's probably the most popular thing that he's done. You might know his name from that. Bruce Wilkinson was part of a leadership of something that became called Co-Mission. And Co-Mission was an organized team of, I know, there was like 18, I think, mission agencies that got involved in some way in this happening. YWAM being one of them is what I was part of. But their task was to form a curriculum to bring to Russia and teach the teachers of Russia the Christian ethic. Because Boris Yeltsin took a candle in the church, set it on, and he said a prayer and announced to the nation, we are no longer an atheist nation. We are Christian. And the Orthodox Church came alive. And fortunately, other churches were able to come alive. The Minister of Education of Russia said, please come and teach us the Christian ethic teach our teachers the Christian ethic so that we can be the Christian nation that we intend to be. I'm a Christian teacher in America in 1996 being told that we do not have prayer in school. <laughs> we do not have Bible reading in our school. We do not teach religious teaching about Jesus in our school. And I was listening to Bruce Wilkinson on a video explain how our enemy, which I've been raised to believe would bomb us, our enemy is asking us to go there and teach them the way of grace in Jesus Christ. I was weeping. Every time I tell the story, I feel this emotion of God-answered prayer shaking the world by this little message we have. <laughs> Not ashamed of the message. It's the power of God for salvation. And it changes the world in really big ways. I was so blessed to be part of that. And I spent five years in Russia being a teacher of the Bible in context where people would come and want to be church leaders and want to plant churches and want to further the gospel in Russia.
Still going on. Still there, still happening. The foreigners are not welcome quite as much. But within Russia, the Christians have freedom. And they have a challenge like anybody else to take the gospel into a world full of what we read about this morning in last day's context. I had a personal struggle because I am feeling pretty insignificant as a school teacher in a tiny little town in Montana. What could that possibly be in the significance of the Soviet Union falling and the church in Russia being raised up? And That's a big deal. How can I even consider that I could be part of such a thing? And I think God knows my heart and he knows my insecurities. He knows my intimidation, you know, whatever keeps me from doing what I should do by fear. I relate to Timothy a lot. I'm fearful. I was out, I was out walking and praying and, and considering, you know, we're about to decide about whether we're going to do this. The church around me was a, was a good church, good people, solid. They were, they were behind us. They're saying, we'll support you. We'll, we'll help you. And yet, you know, that ugh, it's inside of me, this tension. And I was walking and felt like the Lord said to me, remember that story of feeding 5,000? It's a pretty big miracle, big deal. But you remember how it started? The disciples had no help. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have the resources. They said, Jesus, we can't do this. We don't have enough money, and if we did, we don't have enough bread. It's just not going to happen. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? They said, we don't have anything, but there's this little boy, and he has a little lunch. But what's that among so many? Which is exactly what I was saying about this sense of calling to do something so big, what I thought was big. And that's what Jesus said to me. He said, look, <laughs> this, this gets me all the time. Will you be that little boy? Because that's what I need, Jesus would say. Just a, a little boy who doesn't even have a name in the story, but he has a lunch. And would you be that and give up what lunch is yours, your fish and bread, which, I mean, to me was, you know, my resources. I have an education. I have a teaching degree. You know, whatever I have, here it is. What's that among so many? And that's what Jesus encouraged me to do. Say, it's not much. But whatever it is, I'll break it up in little pieces and give it, and you will be amazed how far something like that will go. I needed that. I needed that to step past my fear, to step past that sense of intimidation by something huge. And, and I got to tell you, when I walked into Russia and that intimidating spirit of Russia is strong, I needed to have a word from God like that. When I stand there in, in the, the Moscow subway and feel like this is me in a, in a mass of humanity and no idea 
who's who here? I'm a tiny little speck of a boy from Montana. Nobody knows my name. Does God use things like that? And that's what I would say, yes, he does. We don't have our hope set in something so huge and grand and magnificent that the whole world says, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted. We have this tiny little seed that the Lord said would produce a crop. He said, on this I will build a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. I wanted you to have this when we got to the end, and I hope you do. Can we have that verse up, Eric? The message that we have to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Always be ready to give an answer, a defense, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. If we can be people like that with a message of hope, it's relevant to our world as it was relevant from the time Jesus first said what he said. This gospel preached in all the world. And then the end comes. Let's pray before we sing this last song. Join me in meditating on this idea. Heavenly Father, we present ourselves to you insignificant in ourselves but made to be magnificent in your calling on our life in who you are filling us with a light and a message so I pray for this to be fruitful in our lives that we can be people who trust the scriptures to be profitable in all things who are studying to show ourselves approved, who are supportive of the pastor and his gifts and supportive of one another in our gifts. In regards to this, that we are ready to answer for hope because we have hope. So as we sing this song, Jesus, be present with us. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. I wonder at how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. And I sing how marvelous and how wonderful is his love for me. Bless this group of people. Bless this church, Lord, as we continue to seek you and to serve you. In the grace of Jesus being strong in us, I pray in his name. Amen. And join us, we sing together.